You are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. It is the Diamond District bonus hour. We hope that you gave Todd or Jason a visit over the last couple of weeks to get you through Valentine's Day. And uh, now, just keep in mind, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, you know, a little something-something. Show somebody you love them. You know, that'll replace something if it broke, what have you. you know. Or if you're ready to pop the question. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Valentine's Day went so well that you said now is the time. So Travis Kelsey's making his way through southwest Florida. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. They've got big enough diamonds to satisfy him there. Well, Trent's about to meet that uh, wonderful young lady from Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, before the month's over, right? Uh, March, most likely. That's when she's March. moving down. March, wow. You guys keep pushing this back. <laughs> it's, it's always been March. It's what are you talking really about? It's really raising the expectations. You know Brady and Giselle met on a blind date? Oh, here we go. No. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I just... I have to admit, I, I hardly know the young man. I, I, I like so much about him. I love the I love the family dynamic and the girlfriend dynamic. We use the one girlfriend to do Swifty trivia for the week leading in the Super Bowl. The other girlfriend managed to get a ticket to the first Lions home playoff game in 30 years, which I just find amazing how a non-fiancé or wife could, you know, have that much stock. I mean, that that's tremendous. You could tell the family really likes her. Family may like her more than the boyfriend. If you met I mean, her, you, they, I, you it would make sense. No, but you you know what I'm saying. I yeah, mean, you I, know, I he's ob- yeah. your brother's obviously in love with her. Okay, but the rest of the family, I mean, she outranked dad <laughs> for the fourth and final spot for the Lions-Rams playoff game. I mean, her stock is high. Yes, it is. There is no doubt. I mean, the pressure on your brother to put a ring on that finger is immense. They're looking at her, him like, listen, we're keeping her. Got it? Figure it out. <laughs> Don't screw this one up. Right. You know, they make the playoffs next year. She's coming too, okay? Next when time the, we decide if you're coming. When the season tickets have gone up 70% in price. That's a joke. It's yeah. disgusting. Oh, yeah. They eased the it's, pain a little bit by going on that run this year, but, man, that's a yeah, lot. It, it's appalling that certain franchises did it right away that they couldn't wait a year from a PR standpoint. I know there's pressure within the league and ticket sales and this, that, and the other thing. Dolphins raised their tickets like 40%, you know, coming off this, you know, but they had a great home schedule last year and obviously they were a good team, but you know, I mean, could you win a playoff game? Could you host a playoff game? Golly. You know, Who's got more pressure on them going into next year, the Dolphins or the Jags? Uh, Dolphins. Because Jacksonville's a one-team town. I I mean, you know. And I don't know. Trevor Lawrence is one year, you know, behind Tua, so to speak. So they have less financial pressure in terms of paying the quarterback and – also, I just think that the Jags window is wider. 
that the Dolphins gave up more resources and they've spent more money on more guys and that it's, it's getting near make it happen time in Miami in Jacksonville. I still feel like Jacksonville is trying to figure it out, Mark. I feel like Dallas and Miami, it's make it happen time. Jacksonville is kind of like, man, we thought we had it figured out. Obviously we didn't. Let's try to figure this out this year. So what if we tweak Mark's question a little bit and say who has more pressure going into next season, Tua or Trevor? Well, because I think that's much more of a, or I, I think, I think David to, would say that's probably a closer. I think we have to wait about three months because I have a feeling that the Dolphins and Tua are going to sign a long-term deal, so that you could then argue there's no pressure on Tua uh, to win, but not financial. He's not playing for a contract anymore. In theory, Trevor is going to also be playing for a contract. And the Jaguars don't throw money. They don't sign a lot of guys to the big second contract. And, David, you're right because of who they are. The Dolphins have more pressure and they're a year ahead. But if Jacksonville were any other team coming off a win in the division, doing what they did last year, the pressure would be so high on that organization. And I think you're right. They get the slightest of passes because they're the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's a one-team town. Totally. They're getting a huge pass. I mean, Mark, basically they pulled in Eagles. You know, the Eagles went from 10 and one and finished 11 and seven. If you count the playoff loss to the Bucks. I mean, the Eagles lost six of their last seven. Well, the Jags were eight and three. They lost five of their last six to miss the playoffs. To have a team that was drafting second in the league, beat them out for the division title. I mean, it was an epic collapse. And Trevor's still not, you know, C.J. Stroud in one year has shown a, as much potential as Trevor's shown in his short time in Jacksonville. Well, Mark, you know what people don't like? They don't like when you go sideways or if you even go slightly down. What was Trevor doing? Trevor was going up. Up and then even last year started, and after a one and two start, they win seven out of eight. And what's Trevor's arrow pointing, Mark? Up, 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 up. And then what happened? He and they plateaued and went down. And when that happens at that position, people freak out. They and he was all banged up. I, you know, I get it. Yep. The knee, no the doubt. shoulder. He would. He played through a bunch of injuries. Mm-hmm. But you know, Mark, at that position, people go, uh-oh, has he peaked? Is this all he's going to be? Okay. Oh, my good. You know, well, I mean, I will say there is good Trevor and bad Trevor. Trevor turns it over. Bad Trevor turns it over. Bad Trevor's like bad Josh Allen. Josh Allen can turn it over. He usually, in the same game, however, can overcome it. Trevor doesn't always do that. Yeah. And then there's the Bucks, who won the division again and will basically have the least amount of pressure on them of any of the three Florida pro football teams heading into next year. Which is crazy considering they did win a playoff game. Their pressure's in the offseason. Get Mike Evans re-signed. I don't think that's going to happen. He'd have to take it from the sounds of it. 
he'd have to take a discount, a significant discount. We're talking minimum 10% a year, if not 15 plus percent a year discount from what reportedly he will get on the open market. I mean, 80 catches, 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, still a legitimate number one wide receiver. And even if you're a really good team, he's a hell of a 1A. I mean, if you're Dallas and you're – come on, you're year to year at this point. You're going to put him next to C.D. Lamb? Can they afford him? I'm, I'm at that number. Can they afford him, David? I maybe I don't know. I figure it out, Jerry. You got the cash. You can rework every damn contract on the team. Okay, fair enough. They do have a lot of their stars on rookie deals. I shouldn't say a lot, you know, but Micah, who's got to get paid here soon. Trayvon yeah. Diggs, CD Lamb still though. on his rookie deal, right? For this year, you can make a Mike Evans contract work. The problem is Mike's going to get a three-year deal at like 23 per, and how's it going to work in 25 and 26? But, you know, if you're Baltimore, do you just say, you know what, we, we got to even do better? Because, like, remember, Odell was a one-year deal, and they spent $16 million on Odell. So do they throw a little more money on the pile and go, hell with that, we'll go Mike Evans? I mean, come on now. You got to go do a dynasty here. No sense holding back. Hell, for that matter, if you're Jacksonville, the Calvin Ridley thing looked like it was going to work. It really didn't work. He was not a number one. They don't have a number one. If you're Jacksonville, you want to make Trevor Lawrence's life better? How about that target all over the field? They got the money. They got to sign Josh Allen. Otherwise, they they can work things around. They're not going to bring back the left tackle. They could let one or two of the wide receivers go. Ingram signed. The running backs are signed. The quarterback's got two more years on a rookie deal. They can afford Mike Evans. And I don't know why he would take a discount if you're Mike Evans. I, you know, I, I get a little bit of loyalty to Tampa and maybe he wants to retire there. And, and I, I understand that, but he already has his ring and he's going to get 31. one more big payday. And he's 31 years old. This is it. All right. You're either staying in Tampa taking, you know, this is the most we can offer you. Okay. Or you're going to get paid. By the way, what if Houston calls? He played at Texas A&M. All right, he loves it. He's still a Texan. Okay, Houston's an hour and a half from Texas A&M. Mike Evans probably going to retire in Texas. Why not the Texans? <laughs> It'd be pretty painful <laughs> for Jags fans, but just saying. That would be awesome. C.J. Stroud developing the way he is on that trajectory, which we know can plateau. But and They've got a lot of young a, receivers there, too. You throw a Mike Evans in that mix. How about Indianapolis? They can run the ball. Not great at throwing it. Don't have anything close to a number one wide receiver. Would he want to go there? Well, I, it's a dome. With Anthony Richardson. So I don't know. Else. I don't think so. I, I, think he, I think if he's going to go to a team, I think he's chasing a t- I mean, he wants the money, but it's got to go somewhere that he can look at the situation and say, this is clearly better than where I'm at in Tampa. And I just won a division and went to the, won a playoff game. 
Where am I going that I'm going to improve my situation? Like the Colts is one, in my opinion, that I think he would he would rather stay in Tampa than go to Indy because he has a good rapport with Baker. Then you're going to Indy, playing in Lucas Oil. Yes, it's a dome, but it's a rookie quarterback with so many question marks. I had to figure out a way to get the NFL back into this show today, David. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> no, I get job. it. I get it. You know, it drives every bus, train, you know, car there is. I get it. I mean, we've talked a little college football today. We've talked some NASCAR today. Talked a little NBA today. It was time. Detroit Mercy. I mean, you know, snapping the schneid. Once you go to Detroit Mercy, I mean, there's no coming back from that. Miller and Moulton. We'll talk Pop-Tarts next. Welcome to the bonus hour, brought to you by Jason and Todd at the Diamond District. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. 21 minutes past the hour. Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network, floridasportsnetwork.com. It is the Diamond District bonus hour. Good, bad, and ugly. What's on tap today was the day when. Uh, Some final thoughts, a pick or two. I am not allowed to pick. A game tonight. Uh, I've been too bad this week. I've lost my privileges for the rest of the week. Mark and or Trent will be making our picks um, coming up in a bit. I don't know, hey, David, uh, David did... real quick. I might be in timeout, too, because I was locked and loaded with Arkansas last night. They got crushed. Sorry. I just wanted to. Yeah, I, but I wanna... that was only one. That was only one. <laughs> yeah, but it was a bad that one. That was only one. I think we might take the night off, period, because okay. what, happens, what happens is and we have our little system, and it's very simple. Home dogs against ranked teams in college basketball. Mm-hmm. What did we do yesterday? Started betting NBA. NBA, because Moulton was feeling it. And yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Last night around 9.30, when I realized that we'd lost basically every game we bet, Except Detroit Mercy, baby. Thank right. God you found your wallet. Exactly. Otherwise, we would have been 0-3. I started thinking about my late father. And when you were going through slumps picking football, my dad always loved it. Not that you were losing games. He said, because he would drive around. My dad would go for a drive and listen to our show when David and I were doing afternoons together here in, in uh, Southwest Florida. And he said, man, when you pick games, you're pretty fast. You go through it. David gives reasons. He gets into detail. By the time he's done with those picks, I'm convinced there is no way he can be wrong. And yesterday, that's what you did. You had me. You sucked me right in. We've been winning doing it one way, but let's change everything and do it another way. Why? Because Moulton's feeling it. Yep. We've been winning too much. And I'm like, everything we touch, we're going to win. Let's reach out and touch someone. (laughs) How can we lose? Hey, uh, very quickly, you brought up the NFL. We didn't talk about this today. So, if you're the Niners, you fired your defensive coordinator. Uh huh. By the way, half the defensive staff has left. They all got jobs elsewhere. One guy's going to the two guys went to the Commanders. One guy's going here. One guy's going there. So, I mean, it's a pretty much going to be a whole new defensive staff. Uh, the Niners are clearly year to year. You call Belichick. You call Vrabel. 
I mean, come on now, you're all in. You're year to year at this point. You know, salary cap wise, you've got. Uh, it's going to be difficult even this offseason for the Niners to keep as much of that band together as they can. But they'll probably figure out a way to keep it together for 24. It will start breaking up in 25 because also Purdy next year. Mm, you know, not many more opportunities where your quarterbacks will be making 900,000. So. I'm just wondering if you're year to year, which the Niners really are in every way, shape, and form. I think you make both calls, David. I don't know if either of them take your call. Well, remember, I mean, the last two defensive coordinators in San Francisco got head coaching jobs. Now, this one got fired. But we all feel he's being scapegoated. There's no doubt. Do you think either one of them could boost their stock, though? I think this could only hurt them. Yes and no. The other question is, I think they have to decide, do they want a year off? Or, no, I need to stay in the league. I don't think I don't think Belichick would take a coordinator job. I don't. I'd make the call, David. Vrabel, that's interesting. I don't think he would either. I think sitting a year out would be fine for both of them. Okay. So, just curious, just wanted to go there. Um, I said we were going to talk Pop-Tarts this segment. And I wasn't just being flippant. We didn't talk about it yesterday. The news came out before our show yesterday. Did you see the gentleman who is basically credited? They feel he had the biggest role in the creation of the Pop-Tart died over the weekend at the age of 96. He's a Michigander. He died in Grand Rapids. Trent's hometown. Flying in there today. That's the backyard. William William Post. Okay. Feels if we owe him a moment of silence. All right. He led the bakery plant that developed the first Pop-Tarts for Kellogg's back in... 1964, the Pop-Tart is 60. All right, apparently he used his kids as the taste testers. Great, great audience. Got the right test market there, David. Yep. Uh, Pop-Tart started with four flavors, now more than 30. So, but... An American institution. Would you call them an institution? The Pop-Tart? 60 years. That's pretty strong. They've got a bowl game. (laughs) How can they not be an institution? (laughs) I could argue that helps and hurts their cause. (laughs) I really can. Been a breakfast staple for 60 years. I mean, it's the go-to on-the-go breakfast. What's, What's bigger? Moms have been relying on these things for a long time. I mean, I was raised on Pop-Tarts, David. Yes, it's an institution to me. So, Trent, I don't know how familiar you are with this, and I don't even know if these places still exist. He went to Grand Rapids Christian High School. Still there. He worked part-time at Heckman Biscuit Company washing trucks. Not familiar on that one. He then went into the Army in, you know, the big one, World War II. Okay. Married for 72 years. And along the way, he and the family came up with and taste tested the Pop-Tart. 
You know what? Now that you mention this, this is a little off the board, but my elementary school, we had to do a project on a on a Michigan figure. I did Stevie Wonder. I think there was someone in our class who did William Post because I remember a kid bringing in Pop-Tarts for everybody. It must have been. That's an easy A right there, yeah. bringing in Pop-Tarts. for the. You're a hero in that classroom. This is all coming back to me. Fourth grade, William Post. Rest in peace. So apparently here's how it went. In early 64, he's managing the plant, okay? Uh, At the time, Kellogg's competitor was creating a toaster pastry called Country Squares, which was later named Toastum Pop-Ups. Executive from Kellogg's went to Mr. Post and said, hey, you guys think you could come up with something similar? And he said, yeah, give me two weeks. Invented the Pop-Tart in two weeks. Well, stole the Pop-Tart from another company and invented the Pop-Tart. Like all great ideas, it was someone else's yeah, first. Yeah, this is some Willy Wonka exactly. type stuff going on here. Okay, during the two weeks, he offered prototypes to his children at various stages of development. He said they went from cardboard to pastry. He brought samples home daily. The kids by week two were like, oh, come on, Dad. No, <laughs> no man. <laughs> Not another Pop-Tart. No. Come on. And remember, the original Pop-Tarts, the four flavors, did not have frosting. And Lord knows, apple currant was flying off the shelves. So apparently, he brought them then two weeks. He goes, he says, here's what I got. They tasted them. They said, all right. And apparently, they debuted in Cleveland. They shipped them to Cleveland. Pop-Tarts? In Cleveland? The company sold its first shipment in Cleveland, just like washers and dryers. Just no dents in the Pop-Tarts. Got to go back about 18 years for that reference. And as you mentioned, Mark, the earliest Pop-Tarts, no frosting. Frosting was not added until a few years later. Look at that. I feel like you should know. And now you know the The rest rest of of the story. story. Thank you, Paul Harvey. Mr. Post, 96 years old on the 60th anniversary if you will of the pop tart well done sir well done and you're a brown sugar guy for the record totally all in and i'm frosted blueberry that's what that's frosted blueberry is what i was raised on i do s'mores and i'm well aware that that's more of a dessert than a breakfast pastry but i love the s'mores they're delicious now now i need pop tarts going right to Publix after the show picking up a batch Miller and Moulton. Good, bad, and ugly. Today was a day when what's on tap. That's next. Home stretch of the Diamond District bonus hour for Miller and Moulton. So Trent's off tomorrow. We're off Monday. So Trent will have a four-day weekend. We will have a three-day weekend, President's Day. And I'm curious whether or not we'll be watching the Daytona 500 Monday. So, I mean, Clement weather in the Daytona area expected on Sunday. They just don't know for how long. But um, so it'll be uh, just Miller and Moulton tomorrow. And then the best of on Monday. Pat Kerwin will join us tomorrow. And a gentleman who has been tapped on the shoulder and told we're broke. We need you to raise the money to save our athletic department. At the University of florida he will join us on the show 7 30 ish tomorrow 
It's time for someone to take back this segment, if for no other reason than to stop David from talking about Meghan and Harry. Here's Mark Miller with Today Was the Day When. Interesting little factoid to start us off today, David. 1932 is where we start. Eddie Egan wins gold as a member of the four-man bobsled team, becoming the only Olympian to win gold in both the summer and winter games in two different sports. He won gold in 1920 in boxing. Now, there's one woman who won gold in the winter and summer games, but it was the same event because up until 1920, there was no winter games, and she won the figure skating gold in 1920 and then would win figure skating in 24, 28, and 32 in the winter games. Gillis Grafstrom. But he is the only one to win it in two different sports. Pretty remarkable. I agree. Cinderella premiered today in 1950. The album Meet the Beatles goes number one today in 64. Today's Flag Day in Canada because the red maple leaf flag becomes the official flag of Canada today in 1965. David Pearson beats Richard Petty for the Daytona 500 today in 76. This is when they crashed. Petty's car stalled out. Pearson's restarted, and he got across the finish line. Leon Spinks beats Muhammad Ali for the title today in 1978. Live on CBS on a Monday night following MASH. That's a good lead-in. Yes, but that's how big boxing and Ali was. But also, that was before the whole sport had gone pay-per-view. Today in 1980, Eric Hyden wins his first of five gold medals at the Lake Placid Games. 81, Petty wins his seventh Daytona. When you talk to your wife later today, David, you can use this little tidbit to make her feel a touch older. Great. The Breakfast Club was released today in 1985. Oh, my goodness. That is one of those movies that when it's on... I know. I thought of her when I wrote it down. Bill Elliott wins Daytona today in 87. The Soviets leave Afghanistan today in 89. With their head between their legs. Today in 96, the Browns fire Bill Belichick. 98, Dale Earnhardt finally wins Daytona. Six years to the day later, Junior would win Daytona. Under caution, too, a finish that would not happen today. You know, all the heartbreaks of... Earnhardt with the lead, you know, heading into the final lap or even on the final lap, and he got passed. Well, then you it, you could end the race under caution. Earnhardt wins Daytona under caution. Obviously, what would happen today? We would do a green-white checker, and he'd be the lead car when it started, the one position you don't want to be in. Galileo, Susan B. Anthony, Cesar Romero, and Chris Farley all born today. Chris Farley would have been 60. Yarmir Yager's 52. He's still playing. Of course he is. He is. He's he's over in Europe. He's still in a league. And it's not like a men's league either. (laughs) What did I miss, David? Um... You know, I had it here, but I really think you hit 
hit most everything. The, the one thing I will say, this is not something, fortunately, it hasn't happened very often, but the entire U.S. basically figure skating team yeah. died in a plane crash today in 61. And the fact that we were able to recover, you know, I mean, the U.S. continued to dominate in, in figure skating throughout the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. But, uh, you know, in Belgium, by the way, it was on their way to the World Figure Skating uh, Championship. The entire 18-member U.S. figure skating team in a plane crash. You've heard folks elsewhere mock, Florida is gonna Florida. Well, Mark Miller sees it differently. He calls it the good, the bad, and the ugly. What you got, Mark? Got a guy that let it ride in Maryland. In Middle River, he went to the Quick Mart, had 10 bucks left after making a purchase, said, I'm gonna get me a scratcher. That scratcher netted him 20 bucks. Then he bought the, another scratcher with the 20. The second ticket earned him $50,000. Okay. Good for you. Then he followed that up and he uh, bet two NBA games, right? I think that's no? exactly what he did. For the bad, we go to England, where police stormed a hotel on a report of a man armed with a large knife. They left when they found the man holding a Harry Potter wand. No harm was caused by anybody in the wand incident. Finally, the ugly. We go to Delta Airways Airlines and the friendly skies of a flight from Amsterdam to Detroit that had to turn around because maggots fell out of an overhead bag and onto a passenger Tuesday. The improperly packed carry-on contained rotten fish wrapped in newspaper. And Philip Schody, who resides in Iowa, was on the flight, said the woman who the maggots landed on was freaking out. Yeah, you're on a flight and maggots land on you. I'd freak out too. I got to admit, though, if the choice is maggots landing on me or the bolts for the door falling off and the door opening, I really would take the maggots. <laughs> That's the good, the bad, and the ugly on today, February the 15th, 2024. Well, we big night in the NHL. We got 12 games, both Florida teams in action. Panthers are in Buffalo. That's after they just whooped up on the boy. Did they ever four in the first? I believe. Well, they, but not only that, they they not only beat them, they kind of beat them up too. The Panthers are a nasty team to play against, and I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, Lightning are hosting the, the uh, Avs, but they were up four spit before anything happened in that game. Uh, so Panthers in Buffalo, Lightning hosting the Avs. That wasn't that long ago they played for a cup. Three games in the NBA, and then it's the All-Star break, and we won't have any action for a week. And uh, two of the three games are like makeup games tonight, and so, you know, not that big a deal. Okay, uh, FAU's home, big favorites on ESPN2 against Temple, like 16 and a half. FAU could be caught looking ahead. Big first place showdown Sunday in Tampa. Sold out FAU at South Florida. Oh, by the way. 
That's cool. That's fantastic. There's not one game tonight that fits our criteria. No. No, there's not. Purdue's at home, big favorites against Minnesota. Speaking of which, we didn't talk about this, but my bad. Uh, so Ohio State fires Holtman. And they do it with like three weeks left, and four weeks left in the season. That's strange. I mean, because you don't need to fire a basketball coach to like, well, you know, we're firing him so we could get in line first for the other coaches. Come on. You could talk to you, pick up the phone, call their agent, even while you keep the current guy. I mean, please. Like Ohio State didn't call Dusty May's agent? Come on. So that's interesting. First game, Mark, for Ohio State and the interim head coach, I believe, is Sunday hosting Purdue. Okay. Big effort from the team and the interim coach, or no, they're cooked, and Purdue's going to come in there and whack them. Which is it going to be? I think Purdue's going to come in there and whack them. All right. It'll more than likely fit our criteria, though, because Ohio State's going to be getting a bundle of points in that game. Yes, they are. So, just wanted to mention that, and um, you know, but otherwise, it's a it's a pretty slow night of uh, college basketball. FAU at home, getting laying nineteen and a half. Purdue at home, laying sixteen and a half. And um, the only other ranked team playing is St. Mary's late game. They're hosting Pepperdine. That's eleven o'clock at night, and they're laying nineteen and a half. I do believe, though, St. Mary's is one of just two teams remaining in the country who's unbeaten in their conference. And the other one, I believe, is Yale in the Ivy. They're the last two men's teams that are unbeaten in conference play. St. Mary's with a two-game lead on Gonzaga. Who's in jeopardy of not making the tournament. Now, that went over Kentucky – Probably did enough to put them in, David, but they were bubblicious, and that win may secure their spot. Well, and, you know, Gonzaga was bubblicious. Michigan State was bubblicious. Florida was bubblicious. They've all started winning in the last week and a half. So, fact, I think all the Gators' losses are quad one losses, come to think of it. And that's why USF, with this great season they're having, they're not even being considered for the tournament right now. They would have to win their conference to get in. I don't even know if a win Saturday puts them anywhere close to in. How about this, though? Don't you, if you win your regular season title, get an automatic NIT berth, or did they take that away? I I don't know the answer to that. I know, because when you're a program like South Florida, you know you would go, okay, we could live with this. You know, this this works for us. A couple of national games, you know, keep our name out there. Helps with recruiting. Probably so, would get a home one. Spitz is saying they took that away. Yeah. Great. But big weekend for USF and Hoops. Because yeah. with a win, it would give them a little credibility. Be their first quad one win, probably. Well, but not only that, they'd be in first place in the American. They likely are, would win the regular season of the AAC. Now, FAU is not in danger of missing the tournament if they lose, but I will say their seeding is every week going down a notch. They're like down in most people's brackets to between a six and an eight. They keep slowly dropping a line a week. Yeah, that's an eight-nine team you don't want to see if you're Purdue in the second game. Well, 
That's was supposed to be the matchup last year. They were in the eight nine game. They won it. Purdue lost their one sixteen game. It was supposed to be Purdue FAU in the second round. For what it's worth, Joel Lenardi, who does bracketology for the four letter network, he has FAU still as a six seed. Yeah. So sky isn't falling per se, but you guys are right. You got it. It's a little. Here's the thing with college hoops that drives me nuts is the style points towards the end of the season matter a little too much sometimes instead of full body of work. They say it's body of work. This reminds me of another committee, by the way, that makes decisions. I think the one thing people look at, though, is when you can't look at the rankings and then assume that means seeding. Correct. Right, like if you're an eight. If you're if you're eight in the AP poll, you can't assume you're going to be a two seed. Correct, one hundred percent, and that's that's, I th- that's a problem. Not a problem, but that's something that fans just look at a poll. They go to their phone and they hey, oh, they're looking at what the games top twenty teams. Well, they should be this, and seedings aren't anywhere close to what the coaches in the AP poll look like. Correct. By the way, a monster game Saturday. Marquette and UConn. Right now, in a lot of people's brackets, that's two one seeds. Marquette's fourth in the country. They're like the last one or first two in most people's brackets right now who do this for a living. Marquette and UConn, Saturday, 3 o'clock on Fox, if you're into college hoops. The Big East, alive and well, baby. That's going to be a great game. Let John Fanta hype that game up. He has been on X. I've been loving all his tweets, hyping that game up. Yeah, he's I he's actually fun. I follow him on TikTok, and he cracks me up because it's he's got a big head, mm-hmm. and he's a tiny bit heavy, and it's not a knock, just a fact. So when he, he gets all jovial and getting you know five teams to look out for this year, it, 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 inevitably funnier. It, the cheeks shake a little bit, and I always get a kick out of it. It's like if Chris Farley was covering college basketball. Totally. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I don't think we're Farley give that would have to been him. sixty today. We all should go and watch down by the river today, just to amuse ourselves. Trent, safe travels. All the best. We'll be thinking about you. We'll be back tomorrow.